Okay, Exodus 36, and as we've repeated several times that um, these last 16 chapters of Exodus, 13 of them are dealing with the tabernacle. So the last six, which we're on now, beginning in, in chapter 35, are mostly about constructing the tabernacle. So um, we are back to studying uh, about the tabernacle and covering much of the same ground that we did in Exodus 25 to 31. So you are in, in really, really rare company tonight. I know that I've mentioned before that most people, when they study with Exodus, they quit when they get to the te- after the Ten Commandments. Well, that was 16 chapters ago for us. Um, so we are, we are there. So, and, and beyond that, most people that, that study it or um, teach it, if, if they teach on this part at all, combine the two chapter, combine two chapters that are almost identical. Um, for example, tonight we're going to be on chapter 36. Much of 36 was also in 26. And not only do people do that when they teach it, but most commentators do that as well when they write their, their commentaries, like these. You know? So scholars do that. They combine them um, to avoid repeating things. So here's, what, here's one. I, I quote Victor Hamilton once in a while, but um, I haven't quoted him for a while, but I thought his, his comment here was relevant. He says, kudos to the readers of Scripture who patiently are able to plow their way through all the micrometric details vis-a-vis the tabernacle in chapters 25 to 31, only to have to face an encore in chapters 35 to 39. So that's what Victor Hamilton says about this. So, So you are... Kudos from him, and, and I would just say that, you know, you're extraordinary people <laughs> to be able to, to do that. So faithfully, faithfully plowing through, as, as he put it, um, every Sunday night. And why do you do that? Well, if, we should be doing it because of this. We know that in that plowing, there is treasure in that soil, in God's word, in, in every one of the words. Um, and so I'm glad you're here, and I'm, and I'm happy to be yoked with you <laughs> as we plow through this together. So, so we are here studying the tabernacle, and here's why we're, we're on the tabernacle Because back in in chapter 5, God said to Moses this, And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst. So, the sanctuary, um, a portable, it's a tent, it's a portable sanctuary, and it is, this is the reason the tabernacle is being built, the main reason. It serves as a symbol of God's continued presence with the people of Israel. Uh, and then in verse 9, exactly 
as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture or furnishings, you shall make it. So the details matter. Uh, Exactly as I show you, you shall make it. And so the instructions that we have already looked at for building the tabernacle we're going to we're going to look at those again but but these and these are almost identical as 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 Hamilton pointed out um but there there one thing is they're in a different order so when god gave instructions for uh the tabernacle he he named the things that were most important first like the ark of the covenant or the ark of the testimony um, and so in this tonight, we have a different order. This is the first thing um, that we're going to see in that series of things to construct uh, with the sanctuary, um, the tabernacle, and the um, furnishing. So last week we were on chapter 35, and it said this, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? Well, we talked about that last week. Um, So what does it mean? Is it something ambiguous? Is it something that's really, really, really hard to define? Um, Does it mean different things to different people? Well, in Exodus 35, it means something very specific. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work with in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he goes on to say, and to teach those kind of things. But it is a very specific thing. So, so being filled with the Spirit included being filled with other things as well. Um, when God filled him with the Spirit. So you could say it this way. Being filled with the Spirit was God filling people with his spirit to do his work. With specific things, with specific abilities to do specific tasks. So that's what it means in Exodus 35. Being filled with the spirit means God fills people with the spirit, with the spirit of God, to do his work. And as you go through Scripture, that holds true. God fills people with the Spirit to do specific things. And, and we, I mentioned this one last week, that, that James Boyce makes the point that every time from the day of Pentecost on, when somebody is filled with the Spirit, it is to boldly proclaim the Word of God. One specific thing that means in the New Testament, especially after the day of Pentecost. That's what it means in the New Testament. So being filled with the Spirit is God's work. And by the way, um, 
in the New Testament, you could be filled with the Spirit more than once. Um, and it is not the same thing um, as being indwelled by the Spirit. That's a different thing which we as Christians are, indwelled by the Spirit. But it isn't something that's undefinable either. Uh, in Scripture, it's pretty clear what it means. And so um, what, we, what we just quoted there from Exodus was from the end of Exodus 35, under the ESV's heading, if you have the ESV, the construction of the tabernacle. And so that heading uh, in the ESV goes from chapter 35, verse 30, all the way through the end of 36. So it's a really, really, really long section in the ESV. Um, well, that's a long section in 44 verses to, to cover in one, one setting. The Hebrew Bible actually breaks this into four parts. Uh, and the Hebrew Bible doesn't have um, headings on it like we might have in our English Bibles, but it, it does have some breaks in it. And it has four, but one of them does go all the way back to the same place the ESV starts, 3530. So we'll mostly follow the Hebrew um, breaks here, but I'll add one section that breaks up the fourth section. It's really long, and I think it's a, it's a good, good place to break it for us. So here, is, here are the five sections then. Um, again, it begins in 35, but, but we won't go back that far when we study it tonight. The Lord's Tabernacle Workers. The Tabernacle Interior. The, the Tent Over the Tabernacle. In the tent frame. So those are all where the Hebrew Bible breaks it. And then I'm going to add one more. Uh, the veil and the curtain at the end. So we are going to uh, take this in sections. And we're going to begin with, with this one. The Lord's Tabernacle Workers. Um, and again, even though in this this heading here I've brought it back into chapter 35. We're just going to start at 36.1. Um, and we're going to spend most of our time in 36.1 to 7. Um, but um, we're going to just read through that the first time without comment. Um, and then when we get to the other sections, we'll make comments and then come back to this, this section at the end. So we'll start with this, just reading through it. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet to Exodus 36, please do that um, and kind of buckle up because we have 38 verses here. So, okay, so the first seven we're just going to read without comment. Uh, Bezalel and Oholiav and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall be in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. And they kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen 
who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, Let no man or woman do anything more um, work for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. And so we will go on to the next section now, uh, again, coming back to that one. So, so in this section, as we go through, because we won't spend a lot of time in these other sections, it's not possible, um, we will make a few comments when we're, when we're doing it. So just as a reminder of what the tabernacle is. So the tabernacle, there, it's referred to, um, the tabernacle can be called at least three different things. One would be the tabernacle and its courtyard. So the whole grounds that the tabernacle is on is sometimes called the tabernacle. The tabernacle can be just the interior part of the of the the sanctuary. So the interior, uh, this was the, the the tabernacle was a portable sanctuary. It was a tent, okay, and it had it was a four layered tent. So just the inside layer could be called the tabernacle. And we're going to see that in this chapter. And then, thirdly, it could be the whole tent. Um, so those are the things that could that it could refer to. So it's a multi-layered tent. It's four layers. Um, and this is, as we come to it now, is nearly word for word with God's instructions to build the tabernacle. And now they're actually going to, to do it. Okay. So... Uh, God's instruction began, as I mentioned, with the most important parts, um, the Ark of the Covenant, which would go in the Holy of Holies. That was the most important thing in the, in the tabernacle because, for a couple of reasons, one is because it was to contain the covenant documents. That's why it's called the Ark of the Covenant for us, or the Ark of the Testimony. The other was because that is where the Lord would meet uh, with Moses and later um, where the high priest would go to hear a word for from the Lord. So um, above the ark is where the Lord would meet with Moses. That's what it says. And so this is, now we're going to see how it may have been constructed in order, or at least logical order, because if you want to um, build the ark of the covenant... You would want somewhere to put it. So it begins with the tabernacle proper. And this is what we're going to end up with at the end of the night. After we get through uh, chapter 36, this would be a plan for what we will end up with um, tonight. So that is what a tabernacle, the tabernacle would look like, layout. Okay, so here we go. And again, I'll make a few comments as we go through this. And all the craftsmen 
So I'm going to make one right here. Um, if you have New American Standard that says, like, skillful men, um, though it's, it usually follows one of those two, those two translations, most of our English versions, a little or close. But it does, it, it does a kind of a literal way to say it would be all those wise of heart. Wise of heart. So keep that, just keep that term in, ta- in mind, wise of heart. Equate it with craftsmen or skillful men because I'm going to come back to it later. Among the workmen, okay, so the workmen are those who are doing the work. Um, made the tabernacle with ten curtains. Um, curtains is misleading for us um, because, mis- because curtains are things that hang from a wall. Um, this, this is... Uh, the Jewish translation of this into English calls these strips of cloth because here's what they did. They went up one side all the way across the top and down the other side. So they went all the way over um, the framework of the tabernacle. So they were made of fine twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. Again, very at the most expensive in in um, also have some symbolic meaning for royalty. Um, some find the scarlet thread that go, runs through Scripture right there. And with cherubim, they are skillfully worked. So, so this is what the tent fabric walls would look like to you and above you if you went inside. They would have, uh, they would be these colors and then gold Cherubim, so the, the cherubim would be like angels, symbolic of angels, inside the tabernacle. So it is a representation, like a heaven-like scene, uh, inside the tabernacle. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits. So 28 cubits. The tabernacle was... Um, let's go, I'll go to the Holy of Holies, was a cube, 10 by 10 by 10 cubits. So 15 feet by 15 feet by 15 feet, roughly. So that would be 30 cubits, 10, 20, 30. These were 28 because they didn't go all the way to the ground. Um, so they stayed, they were a cubit up on each side. So... And the, and the breadth of each curtain was four cubits, and all the curtains or the strips of cloth, were the same size. He coupled five curtains to one another, and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. So there they are, they're groups of five together, two groups of five, and made loops on the blue of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain of the first set. Likewise, he made them on the edge of the outermost curtain of the second set, And he made 50 loops on one curtain, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that was in the second set. And the loops were opposite one another. Why would that be? And he made 50 clasps of gold and coupled the curtains one to the other with the clasps. So the tabernacle was a single whole. So all these strips end up being one thing that covers up the tabernacle. I mentioned the Holy of Holy was 10 by 10 by 10 cubits. The rest of the, um, 
of the tabernacle added another 20 cubits in length. Um, so it ends up being 30 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. The whole thing does. So next we will talk about the tent over the tabernacle. So that, that takes into account one of those meanings. In this case, the, the tabernacle refers to the inside layer only. Um, he also made curtains of goat's hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Hence the title of this section, The Tent Over the Tabernacle. Again, four layers. So we're going to see all the layers here, the other three layers here. Um, the first one, if you remember, the inside one was linen, fine twisted linen. Um, this one is made of goat's hair, a little bit more durable. And he made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits. So those are longer, so they cover up um, all the way to the ground, all the way to the ground from uh, on the sides. And the breadth of each curtain was four cubits, so same breadth. Eleven curtains were the same size, so there's one more curtain too. So it's meant to cover everything. And he coupled the five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves, and he made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain, of the one set and 50 loops on the edge of the other set, of the other connecting curtain. And he made 50 clasps of bronze. So the other ones were of gold. These are of bronze because they're outside of the, uh, the inner part of the, the tabernacle to couple the tent together and it might, that it might be a single hole. And he made for the tent a covering of tanned ramskins, so that's the next layer, tanned ramskins, and goat skins, the ESV says, and we've talked about this before, but you would have, you may have a wildly different translation than that, than goat skins. You may have porpoise skins. You may have badgers, badger skins. Um, and because there is disagreement about that, and that's why, in this case, the NIV has the best translation, which says, some other kind of durable leather. So, and here's what it would look like, then, from the outside. So, from the outside, this doesn't look like much, does it? I mean, it looks like kind of some kind of a tent. Um, but the inside would be ornate, with a scene, a heavenly scene on it, um, beautiful, expensive, um, and the outside then would be more of a practical purpose to protect what's on the inside uh, and to shield it in all kinds of weather, which it would have had to endure. Next, the tent frame. So this is the longest section. Again, we'll make some comments, but not a, lot, not, a, not a lot. So if we think of a tent frame like we're used to, this is not that. Um, again, this needed to endure for a long time, and it needed to be strong to stand up against winds. Um, they were going to use this tabernacle all the way till they get into Canaan, and then longer. So for 40 year, 39 years, um, and then longer. Uh, it ends up in the, in the city of... Um, Shiloh, and it's probably 
um, repaired as you go, but it had to be able to withstand everything for years. And then he made upright frames. Some places would say boards there. I think New American Standard says boards. Um, but the idea, the reason for putting frames in here is that, that some think that it was like a ladder-like frame. They had to be carried everywhere. And when you see the size of them, um, you would think, maybe, well, that does make sense, that they might have been frames. Uh, the word is not a common, it's not the normal word for wood or boards or anything like that. And then, so then he made the upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits was the length of a frame, so that's 15 feet, um, roughly. And a cubit and a half, the width or the breadth of each frame. So that's pretty big, right? So a cubit is about 18 inches, half a cubit. Um, would be another nine inches, so 27 inches. So if that was one solid piece of wood, that would be really heavy. And especially when you overlay it with gold, which they're going to do. So each frame had two tenons for fitting together. So little projections that they could fit together, um, joints. He did this for all the frames of the tabernacle. The frames for the tabernacle he made thus. 20 frames for the south side. And he made 40 bases of silver under the 20 frames. Two bases under one frame for its two tenons. And two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. So, uh, and just to point out, the tabernacle was always set up the same way. Um, same way was always east, same way was always south. For the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, so in this, we had south, now we're north, he made 20 frames, just like that, and there are 40 bases of silver, two bases under one frame and two bases under the next frame. For the rear of the tabernacle, so this would be for the west, he made six frames. He made two frames for the corners of the tabernacle in the rear. And they were separate beneath, but joined at the top, a first ring, at the first ring. And he made two of them this way for the two corners. There were eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases under every frame, two bases. So, we stopped with three sides, and that's because the east side remains open at this point. So, we have the north, south, and the west. He made bars of acacia wood, five for the frames of the one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the frames of the tabernacle at the rear and west side. So, those are th- they would be cross-members. So again, think of like a metal building rather than a tent, uh, what, what you see on the inside. And he made the middle bar to run from end to end halfway up the frames, and he overlaid the frames with gold, and he made their rings of gold for holders for the bars, and he overlaid the bars with gold. So gold. So that would tell you that these things are visible from the inside of the tabernacle. So you'd be seeing these gold frames 
Just on the other side of the gold frames would be that fabric, that blue and purple and, and scarlet fabric with cherubim woven through it. Um, and then you'd see gold. So that's what you would see on the inside of the tabernacle. Um, next, we will have the uh, fifth section, which is really short, uh, four verses, um, called the veil and the, and the screen. And he made a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen with cherubim. Skillfully, skillfully worked into it, he made it. So the cherubim then, um, where this, this veil goes next to, it separates the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle, from the holy place. And for it, he made four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold, and he cast for them four bases of silver. So this is where the veil would go, right there. Um, and so it is, you can, the, the high priest could go through that. Moses could go through that, and, and in, in later times, the high priest would go once a year inside that veil. The rest of the time, nobody was to go inside there. And he also made a screen for the entrance of the tent. Some, some would say veil in both of those places. They're different. Um, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen embroidered with needlework, but no cherubim. So it, it's, they're different. And it's five pillars with their hooks. He overlaid their capitals, so the top of them, and their fillets were of fine gold. But their five bases were of bronze. They're on the outside. Remember, that side is open, um, and so they are made of bronze. So that's where the screen would go. Uh, and um, as the tabernacle was built. Now, we're going to return to the first part. So if you've been here uh, each week, you had seen all of this before in chapter 26, almost all of it, most of it word for word. So why is that? What is the reason? Wouldn't there be a better way to do that than to repeat it all? Um, well, we're going to talk about that now as we go through this section. So here we are. We're going to t cover seven verses. We're going to talk about them in a little bit more detail. Um, Exodus 36, back to verse 1. Betzalel and Oholiav and every craftsman um, in whom... The Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. So notice the end of this verse. In accordance with all that the Lord has commanded or as Yahweh has commanded. So then when they did it, why didn't, why didn't Moses just write, and they did it all according to Yahweh's instructions. It's not like he is afraid to do that. That Moses is not afraid to write like that. I'll just give you a couple examples. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. 
And all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So why not just put that here? Why go all the way through and 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 list it all together? I'm going to go back to Hamilton again. Um, I'm going to quote from a couple of different commentators here. Why do that? Well, I'll add to that. Nowhere does repetition operate on such a massive scale in Exodus as in these 12 chapters. And the repetition is almost verbatim, something that is rare in other repeated texts. So that must mean something, right? If, it, if it's not common, it's not the way that Moses usually does it, what is it, what is it there for? You know, I've, I've made the point before, Albert Moeller's point, really, that every word of Scripture is God's word. We're familiar with that kind of language. We believe in the authority of Scripture. Um, we believe it's inerrant. And then what the, the other part that Moeller puts, and there are no extra words. So there are no extra words here. There's a purpose. There must be a purpose and. And we'll quote from an old guy, um, not like 60 years old or anything like that, um, more like from 500 years ago, uh, John Calvin. And I may have to translate a couple of words from English to English to make this work. So, Although Moses might have seemed to be unnecessarily I'm going to say prolific in recording the injunctions which God gave respecting the building of the tabernacle, yet he repeats the same narrative here, almost in the very same words, and this he does with the best design and for very good reasons. For it was of much importance that it might be seen by actual comparison how exactly the artisans had conformed everything to the pattern laid down by God. And this, not only in commendation of their obedience, but also because it behooved that there should be nothing human in the structure. For although they might each have them having exerted him, themselves strenuously in work, still it was not lawful that, for them to give the slightest scope to their own inventions. So, what does that mean? You heard, like, you've got you to put your own personal touch on that. That's what he's saying. No, it's quoted this way so that you know nobody did that. Nobody felt the need to put their own personal touch on what God had commanded. So think about that. Think about that in regards to to worship. Because worship is, the, the okay, the two reasons here from Sarna. Because, this is the two reasons for the, the tabernacle. Because it was 
the symbol of God's presence, God's continuing presence with the people of Israel, and that there might be the practice of organized religion. The the tabernacle is detailed for that reason. Um, And so I I have a friend I was with him the other day. Um, he He went to Ransom West that closed. So he has been going to, you know, he's been working around. There's not a lot in his neighborhood. but So different churches kind of in the area to visit and see and see what they're. And he, and he just said to me, you know, I'm pretty comfortable with a lot of things. You know, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with hymns. I'm pretty comfortable with the, with the worship at, and the music at Ransom. Obviously, I went there. But I went to this one church where it seemed like everybody was doing their own thing. He said, we had people um, that were not part of any structure, really. Um, People talking whenever they wanted, out loud, so that everybody else could hear them. Um, And he said, you know, I'm comfortable with a lot of things, but but something does not seem right there. And I just quoted, I mean, just didn't quote, but I just said, it sounds to me like 1 Corinthians, like, like, like the, the church in Corinth that, that Paul was speaking about against, about uh, order in worship. Well, God cares about that. God cares about order in worship. And he does, he, it's not for us to put our own personal touch on everything. Like, they didn't do in the tabernacle. Um, and let them make, a sanctuary, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, you shall make it. So it is the place for the Lord to dwell, it says right here, for the king of the universe to dwell. If you were in church this morning... Uh, Pastor Randy mentioned the stars, the number of stars, um, the number of galaxies. That person is to dwell among the people of Israel. A pretty important task, pretty extraordinary work. And not only that, but God provides everything for them to build it. So, so not only did he give, tell them to build it exactly like this, which we're going to talk about that. Um, the rest of this time, we've got a few minutes, and I might run over a few minutes, but it's going to be about this. God supplies everything we need for extraordinary work. And this is extraordinary work. And so we'll go through three points really quickly. One, he provided the plans. Not just any plans, his word. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And exactly as I show you, so he he showed something to Moses concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furnishings, you shall make it. So next point, God provides the people. And not just people, um, not just any people, 
but also not anything that was special about them necessarily because he provided first Bezalel, whom the Lord filled with the Spirit of God. But he was just one of the workers, right? So God provided a lot more people, a lot more specially equipped people. And Bezalel and Aholiah and every craftsman, every skilled person, every wise of heart person. So one of the commentators made the point, because commentators like to count things. Um, ten times in Exodus it says the word wise. Eight of them are in these sections, talking about this group of people constructing the tabernacle. So God provides a special kind of thing for the people constructing the tabernacle. It's God-given. It says, And Bezalel and Aholiab and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put, or the Lord has given, same word, skill and intelligence to know why, how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary shall work in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. And one other little word to pay attention to, that was this one, that put, put, or gave, often translated gave uh, in uh, English. And Moses called Bezalel, and Aholiab, and every craftsman, same word, um, in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him or heart lifted him to come and do the work. So, not only did God provide all the people, but the provisions as well. We all know that God provided the the things when the people came out of Israel, uh, but also this. And they received from Moses all the contributions that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of the sanctuary, they still kept bringing him free will offerings. So how did that happen? How do people get motivated to bring free will offerings? And they kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task in the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So when I was reading, as I've been reading these verses, um, when I get to this verse, my mind right away jumps to um, Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19 says this, and you guys know this verse. And it's a popular verse to quote. But Philippians 4.19 says this. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in in the glory in Christ Jesus. So as I was so I was as I was thinking about that, as that came into my head, I said, I wonder if Paul, because he does takes this from Exodus. He takes things from he takes things from Exodus. He writes things from Exodus. So so what's the context of that verse? 
Well, the context of that verse is that Paul is, has received a gift from the church at Philippi. And he's thanking them for that gift. And in the, in the process of thanking them for that gift, uh, he says this in the verse before. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. That's from their gift. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And then the, then the verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory in Christ. So he's, he's saying that God has supplied my needs. So you can count on the fact that he's going to supply your needs as well. If you were following along with me in verses 18 and 19, you'll see that I just skipped a few words. Let me read them again. As, as I was wondering, did this come from Exodus? I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Well, that comes right out of the tabernacle language in a different part. So I'm pretty sure Paul was applying this verse that's up on the screen. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So that is something for us to Think about. So, God supplied the people of Israel more than they needed. God supplied Paul more than he needed. God will supply the people of Philippi. And he will richly supply us from the riches of his glory. So, and Moses gave command, and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do any more work for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work. So God provides for this extraordinary work, the plans, the people, the provisions. So is that any different from for this extraordinary work? Is, that, is this work extraordinary? Yes, it is. Is the work of the Great Commission extraordinary? Yes, it is. Is the work of the church to be, to, to fulfill now the Great Commission, extraordinary work? Yes, it is. Is it in our culture to be salt and light, extraordinary work? It is. And it will be. Um, but as Christ, or as God has supplied in Christ Jesus, every need, every need that we have, he will continue to do so, and we can be sure that he will continue to do so as we, as he equips us, just ordinary people, to do extraordinary, to do his extraordinary work. He will keep doing that. So let's, let's close in prayer. I kept you about five, well, six minutes over. So let's pray.
Father, thank you for um, your word and that, that you do supply your people for your extraordinary work. Uh, and you give us your plans in your word. Uh, ordinary people like us are equipped for your work. And Lord, we thank you so much for your great provisions for your people. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.